0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 78. This week, I got to talk to Alex DeBoard from Talk About It Outdoors. They've got a podcast, they've got a YouTube channel. Talk to him about that, everything they got going on down there. And we talked about some turkey hunting stuff, some whitetail hunting stuff, some coyote hunting stuff, and a whole bunch more. Alex is just a good old boy from Georgia. Really enjoyed talking to him. It was a great conversation. So I think you guys are going to enjoy it as well. But before we get into it, don't forget about our sponsors. If you guys want to support the podcast, You can check them out. The first one is Grandpa Ray Outdoors, and they specialize in providing the best nutrition for whitetail deer on your property, starting with the soil. They've got a full line of high-quality food plot seed and plant foods. They've got over 14 different blends to choose from, so no matter what you're looking for, you're not going to have any trouble finding it. They've been John actually has been in the seed and nutrition business since 1991. And then he started Grandpa Ray Outdoors in 2015, and he was on a recent episode as well. So you need to go back and check that one out if you haven't already. It was a really good one on all of the stuff that they do, some food plot stuff, nutrition questions, things like that that we had for him. So go check that one out. And he was also on episode uh, 41, I believe, which is where we really kind of got in his background and everything. Really interesting episodes. But back to Grandpa Ray's, his business, they're not just about selling their products They're going to answer any questions you have about what blends would be best for your specific property. That way you can achieve the best results possible. Him and his team don't believe in a cookie cutter approach to wildlife nutrition. So they're going to treat you and your situation individually. They don't have the fancy labels and packaging that you might see from other companies, but they do have some of the best quality seed and they care about their clients. We've used their blends on our own properties for years now and on client properties in the past and continue to do that to this day and the results have always been as good as advertised. That's why we continue to use their seed, and that's why we partnered with them on the podcast in the first place. So you guys can check them out at GrandpaRayOutdoors.com and use the discount code RHOPODCAST. That's all lowercase, no space, and you get 5% off your order there. Another way you guys can support is to go check out RG Outdoors. That's a company started by Rodney Hawkins, who was also on an episode here not too long ago. So you guys can go listen to that one and get some background on him. But he's recently started RG Outdoors. He's currently carrying hard and soft-sided blinds and blind chairs, all from Radix Blinds, in addition to camo dust, which is an all-natural scent elimination product. He's got burner self-defense weapons now. He's got Tacticam cell cameras, and I know he's working on new stuff all the time. So if you want to keep up with anything they got going on or have any questions about it, you can check out their Facebook page, RG Outdoors. Email them, rgoutdoors at yahoo.com, or just call Rodney directly at 618-925-3153. Rodney is also a land specialist with Windwest Farm and Land. If you guys haven't heard of them, they're not really your average real estate company. Last year alone, they sold over $85 million worth of ground. They've got agents like Rodney all over Illinois, so they're really a local company with a national reach. For more info on them, if you want to list some ground, if you're looking for available listings, if you're looking for something that may be for sale but isn't even listed, Rodney's the guy to talk to for that. Again, you can call him directly at 618-925-3153, and he'll get you taken care of. Also, follow us on social media, at Ridge Hunter Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram. We do have a Facebook group for you guys that listen to the podcast now. Uh, it's called RHO Podcast Patrons. That's where we're going to post everything. We post some updates in there uh, about episodes that are or aren't coming out, and some guests that we have lined up. So if you guys have questions for them, you can ask. And we'll also do some exclusive content on there in the near future. You can also go to RidgeHunterOutdoors.com. Anything that we have there that you like, use the discount code RHOPOD, and that's all caps, and you get 10% off of it. So whether that be sense when we get towards a, later in the season, whether that be the apparel that's on there, our own food plot seed, anything on the website that you can find, use the discount code RHOPOD, and that'll give you 10% off of that. Also, follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review on either one of those platforms. And then subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the notification bell, like and comment on any of the videos. We've had a several come out recently, some vlog updates and some other things. So, working to improve that and put up more content all the time. Don't miss it. Go to subscribe to the YouTube channel for all of that. So, now that that's out of the way, let's get into the conversation with Alex DeBoard from Talk About It Outdoors on episode number 78. This is the Ridge Hunter Outdoors Podcast. Hey everybody, this week we're talking to Alex. I guess I should have asked how to pronounce your last name. Could you go ahead and pronounce it for me? That's the board. DeBoard. DeBoard, alright. That's what I thought, but I didn't want to bush it. But we got Alex DeBoard on um, from Talk About It Outdoors, Alex, how's it going, man?
1: It's going great, man. Don't worry about pronouncing the name. As long as you don't call me late for supper, you can call me anything you want. <laughs> I hear you.
0: The first thing we'd like to do with our new guest or our first time guest, I should say, is we'd like to kind of dive into their background and where they got started hunting and all that. So what did you get started on in the outdoors, whether it have been even fishing or, or hunting, who got you started and what'd you start hunting on?
1: Well, for me, it was, you know, I grew up in the mountains of North Georgia. Uh, we hunted a little bit of everything growing up and tried to start deer hunting. But people that know me know I'm pretty impatient when it comes to sitting still. And, steal, and I, don't have a, I don't have a very good knack for that, especially when I was younger. So my dad got squirrel dogs. And when I was four or five years old, we started tagging around and running squirrel dogs in these North Georgia mountains. And mm-hmm. from there, it just evolved into coon hunting, of course, and uh, my deer hunting career. Fun, not too, uh, too long into my teens, and, and it's been a, a roller coaster ride ever since. No doubt. So, when did you start bow hunting? Oh, goodness. I got my first bow when I was 14 years old. Um, the pastor at my church had bought out a sporting goods store, and I was left handed, so it was always hard for me to find a left handed bow. Mm-hmm. And he had bought out Camp Sporting Goods, and he had a Fred Bear code, which anybody that knows what that is, it's a, a 39 and a half inch axle to axle, seventy pound, weighs fourteen pounds, like a bow anchor coated around. That was the first bow that I ever got. And I started started with it, you know, the old feather fleshings on carbon arrows And I, I didn't have a whole lot of a knack for bow hunting or knowing what I was doing, but when I was uh, when I was seventeen I killed the first deer with a bow and, and, and that's
0: pretty much the story as it began for me. Well, so you're seventeen killing your Deer with a bow. How does that lead into what you're doing now with talk about it outdoors? I mean, how do we make the jump from from there to where you're at now? How'd you get started with that? Uh, what kind of made you want to start doing it?
1: Have you got a Have you got all night for us to sit here and talk? <laughs> I've got all kinds history. of time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and we can
1: back up a little bit. And I got to tell the story about the first deer that I ever killed. Oh, for bow, sure, and, and for it's sure. Kind of a good one. Um, so. I had this bow and I shot it in the yard and, and, and it was something that I, I couldn't even pull back. I'm not a big dude. I'm I'm six, three, 150 pounds now. And I wasn't, but probably, I don't know, 70 pounds back then. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, it was hard for me to pull a bow back. And I finally got to where I could get it back a few times, but I was hunting on the ridge that, that's been pretty good to me over the years. Same spot on here on my family's farm. And I, I went that evening and, and I had deer coming in like crazy. I'd got them on trail camera and I was using one of the old, uh, it was a Moultrie camera, one of the first ones they ever came out with. It used eight B cell batteries. Mm-hmm. And so it was big. You hung it on a tree, it looked like a bible hanging on the side
0: of the tree. Yeah, you had to hang it on a pretty and sturdy tree or it'd lean the thing over.
1: That's right. Yeah. You had to hang it with a good size logging chain or it would take yeah. the tree and t- yep, <laughs> No doubt. <laughs> so they were big and they were heavy and I mean it was it when it would flash it, you know, it, it kinda looked like a headlights coming through the wood. So mm-hmm. it didn't really do a whole lot of justice to to saying uh staying hidden itself so it was set right. off but I had deer coming in like crazy had a had a big doe that she would come by pretty religiously and, and at that time unfortunately we couldn't bait here so we couldn't pin them down and uh she was coming in and I knew she might come through there well they came through that evening and I just saw a deer and, and at this time in my my hunting career I didn't care what it was it was brown as down oh yeah and, and I didn't really care what it was especially with a bow and so I drawed back, and, and I sent an arrow, and I hit it, and, and it ran off. And I thought, man, you know, I, I made a good shot on it, I felt like it. So I got down, and I found my arrow. Well, I called my uncle, and and for people that know me that listen to the show or if they don't, my uncle Wilbur is, is my best friend in the world. He's the one that, him and my dad, I've hunted with them all over the country, and, and they – are the reason I am who I am today. Mm-hmm. And I called him first. My dad was at work. I told him, I said, look, I said, I've shot a deer with a bow. And he said, what did you shoot? I said, I don't know. It was a deer. He said, you mean to tell me you had a deer close enough to shoot with a bow and you don't know what it was? I said, just get over here and help me find this thing. I got blood. So, yeah, Don't worry about it. Get over there and we, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we get over there and we get the track of blood down through the woods and a long story short we found it and it was a, a 40 pound button head and, I, and, it, and it could have just well been 140 inch buck because i was tickled to death to get oh, yeah. that deer on the ground for my yep. first
0: one. that's awesome my first deer with a bow was a button buck as well and i think i shot at him four times and so for you though and, and you grew up in illinois right yep all right so bow hunting up there
1: was probably way more of a tradition than it was for us because you guys have such a long-standing history of, of of bow hunting. in oh, yeah. a very short gun season. Yep, yep. We get almost three and a half months of gun season here in Georgia.
0: Yeah, it's crazy how much different it is.
1: We don't hunt with shotguns either. We hunt with rifles. So, right, right. You know, most of most everyone's deer—the first one they killed, which it was mine—I killed it with a .30-30 at Deer Camp, and in gun season there was no bow hunting going around. I mean, that's something right. that. My dad always said, I, I I ain't no Indian, I ain't going bow hunt. Now, he was a heck of a bow hunter when he was younger, but <laughs> right. he got a little bit up in age, and he just quit. So right. it's funny to talk to people from other parts of the country and hear how their traditions are so much
0: different. Yeah, and I think, and actually my first deer I ever shot was with a thirty thirty 30 as well over in Missouri uh, with my uncle during Missouri youth season. But then I think it might have been that same year I killed one with a bow. I don't remember exactly. But anyway, it's interesting, too, why that would be different because you know generally in the south the caliber of deer aren't the same as they are in the midwest so a lot that's of guys right. are doing it more for sport here and you know in a lot of places and then a lot of people down south you know especially that tradition of just you're going out there to kill something put it in the freezer it's a heck of a lot easier to do that with a rifle than it is a bow you know what i mean that's
1: right that's right and, and i was so I was 21 years old, man. I killed my first deer with that 30-30 when 30, I was 12 years old, standing in camp at a, at a place called Big Ten. And Big Ten was a hunting club we had, and we'd had it for a long time. It's where I cut my teeth hunting. At. It's where I grew up. And I, I shot it from the grill in camp with a, a gentleman that's, uh, you know, gone on to be with the was a Lord now, Doug Harmon. He was there with me in camp, and I shot it, and it was a six-pointer, and I was I was tickled to death with that deer, and. Mm-hmm. From that point till I was 22 years old uh, before I actually killed a buck to put on the wall. Now, people might think that's crazy. You spend almost 10 years hunting. I didn't see an eight-point buck. If I saw anything that was a rack, I was shooting it. And I right. was waiting. You know, I was letting spikes and four-pointers and things like that walk. But, mm-hmm. man, we just did not have those big, you know, there was a few around. And it seemed like there was a, those common guys that could figure it out and get one killed. But. I was 22 years old before I killed my first, uh, well, first eight-point buck to go on the wall.
0: Yeah, that's something that uh, we talk about it quite a bit, actually. It was when you're talking about, you know, maybe it's setting your expectations or, you know, you see a lot of guys bashing everybody on social media all the time, the holier-than-thou guys, but a trophy is definitely relative to where you're at because there are places in the country where a two-and-a-half-year-old deer that's a mature deer, you know, or three and a half is a really mature deer in other places. Whereas like mm-hmm. where we're at, you go to Northern Missouri, up into Iowa, of course, you know, you're looking at four and a half in places. And then even places, you know, five and a half, six and a half is pretty reasonable to let a deer get to. Uh, it all depends on where you're from, what part of the country you're in, kind of what dictates what a trophy is. And then, you know, that that's all to your your own discretion as well. But it does, I guess, maturity as much as anything. There's places in the country in the whitetails range where a two and a half year old deer, you better shoot that thing.
1: That's right. That's right. And, and, and I think that we hunt the Midwest and I started going to the Midwest hunting in mean, uh, 2011 was the first time I caught it Midwest. It was Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And I went up there with the expectation that there was going to be 130 inch deer behind every tree. And now while I did see several good deer, I let a really nice buck walk open in the morning thinking, now oh, there's got to be something bigger around and the right. weather flipped, and we wound up not killing anything that week. Right. And so I learned a, a very important lesson there early on that if you're going to kill him on the last day. You better shoot him on the first and you better be happy with it. if mm-hmm. you
0: do shoot him. <laughs> Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's even a, a misconception too, is a lot of guys that aren't from the area like where we're at, they just assume that there are those 130, 140 inch deer behind every tree and there's, there's pockets where there's a lot of nice deer, don't get me wrong, but there's also places where a 140-inch deer is a big deer, even in southern Illinois. You know, it all depends on, you know, certain places you're in in the state and, you know, what kind of management's going on around you, but it's definitely not, it's easier for sure to kill a nice mature uh, big whitetail here than it is probably in southern Georgia but or wherever in Georgia, but uh, it's still not an easy thing. I mean, it's definitely a different form of hunting.
1: Yeah, and I think that's something that we had to learn early on when we started going to the Midwest was set your expectations for what they are. You're going to see more deer and you're going to have the opportunity at a buck of a lifetime for me. Mm-hmm. Anytime you step foot into a state like Illinois or Iowa or Missouri, you can you can have a chance of a lifetime at a buck there. Whereas here, the likelihood of killing 150-inch deer is Slim to none, and they're here. Don't get me wrong, especially in North Georgia. Right. But 120 inch deer here, especially with a bow, is an absolute monster. It's a trophy. I mean, I've got one that was went Pope and Young in the in like one seventeen, one eighteen, and he's number two in that county. I think he may be number three now for a northern Georgia county. Yeah. And for. You go now, South Georgia, you know, you got to seek one, guys. They've made Georgia and put on the map for these absolute giants They kill around Atlanta and everything else. Hats off often Lee and them, they get they get the opportunity to hunt these pockets, like you said, of mm-hmm. really big mature deer, but it's gave the misconception that Georgia's the state that carries with it so many big bucks. Right. You get to South Georgia, you're going to have the opportunity to 160, 170. There's some 200s that have been killed down there, mm-hmm. but man... You know as well as I do, when you step foot into those Midwest states and you start shooting every 120 you see, you're probably going to be upset when that 140 comes out behind the next tree that was pushing those does too.
0: Yep, no doubt. You got to have a, like you said, set your expectations a little different, know what you're getting into. And at the same time, you know, like what you were talking about, you can't let them be too high either just because you see those guys on TV or whatever it is that the only episodes you see are the ones where they're killing those deer or they're seeing all those nice deer. Uh, you got to understand where you're at as opposed to where they're at and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's definitely interesting. Uh, we've had a guy on several times now from, uh, out East and he hunts in Pennsylvania a lot, Steve Shirk. And, you know, out there it's, he has some really nice deer, but again, it's kind of the same way he can go a week without even seeing a deer. You know, he knows right. like you got to just know there's good deer around and, and be patient and hold out for him. But there's places where you can go a week and not see a deer, and it's just a different type of hunting. And that's another thing, too, is you know, where you guys are hunting at versus where we're hunting at, there's even different strategy that goes into it.
1: Yeah. And I think you take a, and, and I don't mean this badly to anybody listening, but you take a guy that struggled like a guy like me that has hunted Georgia. I've went an entire season and see two deer. I mean, I'm talking from September, second weekend in September until January and only see two, maybe three deer in right. that entire season. Yep. You take a guy with that level of patience to continue to go and put him in a place like the Midwest, generally he can find a way to be successful because mm-hmm. he's going to be patient. He's going to get in there and he's going to be a good hunter. Now, not all hunters are that way. And right. don't get me wrong. I've been known to jump from tree to tree to tree <laughs> being impatient myself, but yeah. It, it has changed so much for me what I've learned spending time around people that hunt the great state of Illinois. And I say the great state of Illinois because I would rather sit in a tree on a cold November morning in Illinois than I had any other state. And I'm talking Iowa, I'm talking Kentucky, I'm talking Missouri, I'm talking Georgia, anywhere else that I've ever been. There's just something magical about those November mornings in the state of mm-hmm. Illinois that just, they tug at my heartstrings, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Hey, I've lived here my whole life and I'm still feel the same way. So, uh, you know, we joke a lot about being out in Kansas and stuff and that is a state that I'd like to check off the bucket list and of course, Iowa, but there's definitely something to be said. Well, about. Let me know. We'll go to Kansas. Together <laughs> here we go. There, <laughs> there we go. There's definitely something to be said about like you, just that cold picture, perfect November morning sitting in a tree and, and wherever you're at in Illinois uh, and having, at any moment if you're in the right place a chance at a, a booner to step out from behind the tree but look, back to what you were saying uh, about a guy who's you know like you sitting there seeing two deer all season long having a better chance at success coming up here than some guys I think that's that's a conversation that we actually had with Steve as well it's like you take a guy in your situation or in his situation out there who's hunting the mountains of, in Pennsylvania or hunting where you're at in Georgia yep. There's definitely not as steep a learning curve to come out here and hunt. And I think you have a higher chance of being successful earlier on than just taking, say, the average hunter from where we're at and sticking them in one of those two places. It's just the way it is.
1: Well, one thing I'll say, and there's three points, and, and someone may get something from this that listens this from the south or, or, you know, going out up east towards PA and coming to the Midwest and hunting. There's three things that I have learned that are probably the, the most key. Keys to success that most of the big hammers on getting these big bucks killed follow, and it's play in the wind. You don't play the wind in Georgia. There is no play in the wind. It swirls. It blows from the east. It blows north. It blows south. You'll have 15 different winds in one set in a three-hour set in the evening. If you play that wind in the Midwest, it is a very, very, very good chance you're going to see a ton of deer, and you're going to see the right deer. Mm Mm-hmm. And something I never looked at in Georgia is edge bedding. And my, my good buddy Brock, he's a really good friend of mine. we he's, he's taught me so much about the Midwest when it comes to hunting. And he has, he has let me into his inner thoughts when it comes to, to hunting these big mature whitetails. And edge bedding is something I never would have dreamed would be so important. Mm-hmm. Those edge bedding those those tall switchgrasses and things that are on the edges of these cornfields and stuff, you would never see a deer in Georgia land on the edge of a cornfield they'd be 40, 50, 60 yards back in a in a briar thicket or in a ditch or something else waiting to come to feed mm-hmm. I've literally saw deer stand up in the middle of nowhere out there in the midwest. I'm like, holy yep. cow, yep they're there, but if you play the wind wrong they're not going to be there exactly right. so. And the other thing is just being – it goes for anywhere in the country is just being patient. Don't give up on a spot after the first set because I've, I've notoriously been known to not see a deer in a spot and think i got to move and get over here and go over there. And then I move to this spot and I see a deer walk out where I was just sitting at. And it, it, that's anywhere in the country that you're hunting. For me, it plays out so importantly, though, in the Midwest. If you're patient during the rut, likelihood of a big buck coming by up there is, it, it's going to happen at some point. Now, whether or not you can capitalize and get it killed, that's another. That's another question.
0: Yeah, for sure. It, it's if you got the patience and you're smart about it, and you're you're low impact, the chances of you seeing a nice buck, uh, a mature buck, especially during that two week period in November, are pretty high. You just got to be there when it happens, and again, not let them know you're there. But the what you're talking about there with the bedding is an interesting thing, and it maybe comes down to deer numbers, just because there's there's so many more deer, they don't have quite as many places to bed. But usually, what we will see. Is, you know, in the Midwest, uh, the does will bed as close to food as they can. And if you put that uh, soft edge on a edge of a food plot or a cornfield or something, you're going to bring those does up closer to your food plot. And then the bucks are generally going to bed off your does. So then you increase the depth of your bedding cover for your bucks because they don't want does running through their bedding area all day. I mean, they don't want to be bothered. They don't want to have the stress of that. So they're going to figure out where the does are bedding and then they're going to bet off of them. Of course, when November comes around, a lot of that stuff goes out the window for that two weeks or whatever it is. But to, <laughs> yeah. to increase your chances of killing one from the beginning of October to the middle of January instead of just two weeks in November, that's definitely some stuff that, that you got to look at and think about. And it's interesting to me. Uh, I would have never thought about that, you know, them betting totally different um, down where you're at based on where we're at. Uh, it's just something that you got to learn, I guess, depending on where you're going to hunt.
1: Well, and we, we've, we've never really, you asked earlier how we got into this whole podcast game and we can go into that in, in a minute and talk about our show and mm-hmm. everything we've done with it. But one thing that I've learned is, is thermals and I never really studied thermals until I got into this podcast stuff and really mm-hmm. started talking to some very knowledgeable individuals and thermals here are so much more important to me than they are in the Midwest. Cause you get a strong feel. 10 12 15 mile an hour wind out of the east or whatever it may be you're going to have that consistently if the weather stays the same in the midwest yep here the thermal draw to water or whether it be i rise or or whatever during Mm -hmm. the morning and the evening is something that i've started to play very very smart and it it's changed the way that i hunt here in in the state that i spent so much time in and i'm talking from the time i'm 36 years old now so for the last 25 plus years, I've been hunting here in Georgia and I've never thought about thermals up until the last couple of years and the way that they draw and the way these people bed on a saddle or on a bench or on a, a leeward edge or whatever. I've never thought about that, mm-hmm. but it's changed my approach to it. And for, for anyone listening, I'm not smart enough, I'm going to tell say to, to explain thermals or what they are, but you right. can definitely go and check out some great podcasts that are out there own thermals and learn from some of these guys that teach it. Dan DeWitt's one that, that absolutely blows my mind every time i talk to him. Dan owns um, Cousins' sense. Um, he is uh, out of Louisiana, great guy. I put his sense into play this past year. We had 15 different bucks on a mock spray we made in the middle of nowhere. So mm-hmm. shout out to my guy, Dan. He don't pay us anything to, to talk <laughs> about his stuff, and, and I, don't, I don't ask him to because it works, and I'm willing to support a friend when it works. So. There you
0: go. Shout out to him if you want to hear some great stuff. Look up Dan DeWitt because he can definitely talk thermals and how to do mock scrapes. <laughs> there you go. I'll put his. Uh, I'll put him in the description too. That way, if anybody listening to this wants to check him out, uh, they can just go check that stuff. Yeah, Dan's
1: out. a Dan's a great guy. Uh, he's at the World Deer Expo in Alabama with us, uh, and he's um, he's all over the country, especially hunting. He goes all over the world. Him and his wife do so. You know, mm-hmm. shout out to them, but it's is it's something that, that people don't think about and when you put it into play I'm, I'm, I'm telling you it will help you as a hunter
0: yeah I actually take advantage of what little bit and this is something for me too that just probably the last like two maybe three years uh, really started paying attention to as well and that's because you know up here we're like what you're saying in the Midwest we don't necessarily have the terrain where they come into play as much and we got some more consistent winds usually but If you get like a a calm morning where the wind is less than two miles an hour, you know, if it says like two miles an hour out of the south, well, you may be able to slip into that stand, even though a south wind might not be good for it on those cold mornings, especially if the pressure's rising and that the thermal's Mm going to pull when the air warms and pull your scent just pretty much straight up. You know, you can see like if you've ever seen a pond that's steaming in the mornings and that stuff just pulling straight up off of it, that's what your scent's doing too. But those are that's right. those days are few and far between, you know, for us, and that's a that's really about the only time that thermals really can come into play for us. A calm evening is similar as well, but if you have a morning like that, you can definitely take advantage of it here. But it's just got to be that perfect morning, and you can't stick it out and when the day winds pick up and then they get steady. If it's the wrong wind, you got to get out of there because, like you mentioned earlier, that's where you're going to mess up, and those deer might have been there before, but they ain't now.
1: Well, and, and something that I've, I, and shout out to you guys. You guys do a great job with your show. I, I I had not listened to it until I saw your post in the in the podcast exchange. Um, I just got so many on my on my radar that I listened to. But I've been going through a lot of your episodes and listening to it. You guys do a great job of, the, of explaining a lot of that Midwest hunting. That uh, if you're not listening to it, and anybody that listens to this, when you need to go back and listen to other episodes, I'll share this out. Make sure you know to try to drag some of these guys down here that like to listen to midwest talk to you guys because y'all do a, a very good job of explaining stuff like that and it is different hunting there so if, mm-hmm. if someone's thinking about going to the midwest they need to go back and listen to some of your prior episodes because you guys do an awesome job of
0: explaining stuff well man i really appreciate that i don't know how how good we are sometimes but hopefully at the very least it's entertaining occasionally so but yeah that's
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're if you're enjoying doing it that's all that matters. that's right
0: that's right i've actually said multiple times that I've learned just as much through this, and I'm sure you probably say the same thing. I've learned just as much doing this, uh, probably more than I've been, you know, putting information out there and, and I guess teaching for lack of a better word, other people. So it's been good for me, whether people are listening to it or not.
1: (laughs) Well, and I think you, you find like-minded and knowledgeable people that, that will teach certain aspects of, of hunting that you may have never thought about before. You may have never thought about a topic that they bring up and it, it spawns conversations to have and, and man what a community that the hunting industry is we we talk about it all the time that there's some bad eggs out there that want to bash each other and and the, mm-hmm. they're really few and far between and, and a lot of that stuff kind of kind of stopped with the with the coming of the times I think and, and mm-hmm. positive influence through podcasting I think has helped that a lot and I think it's give people an idea that it's not okay to bash other hunters and you still got the jack legs out there that want to do it. And I don't mind calling them out. I'll, I'll call them out in a heartbeat. I'm right. like, they don't do that. You right. know. I'll argue with the best of them. I mean, I, I don't care if you kill a 180 inch deer, you kill a 30 inch deer. If you're happy with that deer then then that's
0: all that matters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the, so, the podcast is, especially a lot of the guys that you'll see on social media that maybe are those kind of guys that are out there bashing uh, even the bigger names in the industry that you see on TV and you don't really see everything. Now those guys are getting on podcasts and it's this format where you can really learn about them and kind of where they came from and their thoughts on things and their ideas and they're just out there more. So instead of just seeing them for 20 minutes on a Friday night on the Outdoor Channel, now you're really getting an understanding of okay, this guy really does know what he's talking about. Uh, he came from similar situation to, you know, me or guys I know. Uh, he just happened to, you know, put whatever it is, the effort in and got lucky in the right times, and, and now he's on the Outdoor Channel. But I think that's definitely helped some of it too because obviously there are still those guys, but I think it's getting more – there's more information out there on these people that you see that used to – everybody just assumed they were all jerks and they all were silver spoon babies, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I think the podcast growing – even especially within the outdoor industry has helped a lot of that and then it, everybody kind of realizes we're on the same team that's right There's yeah I agree with that wholeheartedly the, the team thing it, it comes into play a lot because mm-hmm. I've met
1: some people that I never would have met any other way through this that I talked on a weekly basis I mean shout out to my boy R.P. Scritchfield over at Scritchfield Miles. I mean I never would have met R.P. if it wasn't through podcasting and R.P.'s became somebody that, that's a really true friend of mine. I mean, we we talk daily. I mean, he, he's, he builds the signature knife that we have. I mean, we, we got such a relationship with him and he built, and I'm a knife guy and I love knives and I never would have thought that I would have someone build me a knife that I would say would be the best one ever. But I put 16 animals under the blade of that knife already and I just got it last year. And I absolutely love it. So he builds an awesome product, and I never would have met him any other way but
0: through podcasting. And he's an awesome dude, the boot. Yeah. So, how did you guys back to where we kind of started? How did you uh, how did you get into this? And then I know you said you got a couple other guys, or at least one other guy, that helps you out with it. Um, tell us about yeah, your, I mean, your show, and then how you kind of got into it. What was your drive to get into it?
1: Well, I, I got a shout out to my to my boy Nick Wilson. He's the guy that the brains behind the operation when it came into it. I had I had started a uh, Facebook following that was it was growing pretty fast and 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 get a lot of reaction out of people. And Nick had been listening to podcasts and stuff. And he came to me. He's like, Hey, let's start a podcast. I'm like, All right, cool. Let's let's do it. What do we need to do? So we started going through the thought process to get behind it and. It, you know, we kind of went back and forth on who we wanted to have involved with it or, or if we wanted to bring anyone else in and, and my best friend road dog is, is Cody Watson and he and I've traveled the country hunting together we've been we've been friends for over 20 years we've spent so much time together in every facet of life and so he had to be a part of it as well so Nick Cody and I kind of spun this thing up and, and started cutting some episodes and it uh, our first episode was uh, from Illinois when I, I went up there and, and took a bow. Uh, excuse me, took a buck with a crossbow because I had I had blown my thumb off with a firework. And if anybody wants to hear that story, they can go back and listen to it. I won't go into it, but <laughs> that was my first podcast we we did, and it was called I'm Back. And, and it kind of started something for us there where we were twenty episodes in and having the likes of Don Higgins get on the show with us, and and mm-hmm. then we went through all the through the years having or through the, the months having the Drury guys on and we built a really good relationship with them. And we got to hundred episodes and we had Chipper Jones come to the studio and sat down with us for, you know, four hours and we cut an episode with him. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it started something for us that it was never about doing something to grow into what it has because now we've changed our direction a little bit where we don't just do podcasting. We do videography. We do, you know, media production work. We've, we've started a, you know, a YouTube channel that's got a good growing. I and mean, we've got a, a big TikTok following it and it, all this stuff has grown so much for us through pretty much just being ourselves. And, mm-hmm. and that's what we always wanted to do was just tell stories, get people on and promote good things that are going on in the outdoor industry and be a voice for those guys that, Hey, maybe they don't want to get on an episode and talk, but they've got good stories they want us to tell for them. And, right. It was it was so much fun in the early days, and and I never would have dreamed that it would blossom into the things like we're doing with the the KT team. And the KT team is a non for profit out of Southeast Georgia that we work with, and we we raised uh, over seventeen thousand dollars for that organization this year with the Fox Vest. And anybody that knows NWTF, they know about the Fox Vest and what went on with it, and. You know, them selling the limited number, blah, 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 whatever, but mm-hmm. we got one of those vests and Nick decided that he wanted to donate it for a, a, a giveaway, and we sold tickets for that thing, and just doing stuff like that, man, and, and being able to, to just maybe put a smile on somebody's face, I mean, there's so much negativity out there, and I hate listening to the radio anymore, because it's just negative this, mm-hmm. or the same old song, that, and these podcasts, maybe there's a guy riding down the road and he, he can think about his grandpa or he can think about an uncle or he can think about a brother or he can think about a friend. When he hears a story being told, that for me is, is what it's always been about. And, and it's been such a blessing to meet the people that we've met because I genuinely have founded lifelong friendships through this that I never would have found any
0: other way. Yeah, I, I would say the same thing and we've been doing it. Uh, we're not quite to our 100th episode now, but you know, just meeting people, getting out there. We just started, I don't know, the last 10 or so episodes really consistently having guys on, and it's been a lot of fun just to talk to the different people out there and get to know them and then kind of get their perspective on anything, everything like you're saying, and then just, you know, being able to text them, you know, sometime and say, hey, what's going on, man? You know, talk about whatever they're doing as far as uh, maybe getting ready for the next season or just what's going on with them and and keeping in touch and kind of building a network within the industry and i think it is such a tight-knit group when you get the good guys that are in it which is most of them and you can talk to those guys and we are so uh, like-minded in a good way that you know most of us can get along and sit you know sit around like we would be having a beer around campfire and just talk about things and and i think hunting is really good uh, for bringing people together like that just in general then when you start you know getting to know all these different people through it you really it really kind of uh Packs that up, I guess. And one thing you mentioned there uh, was kind of the authenticity. And I think there's such an appetite for that right now. That's one of the things we've talked about a couple times recently, but it's worth going over again. There's so much fake in the world and there is so much negativity. So the positivity thing's big too, but there's so much fake stuff out there with all the social media stuff nowadays. Uh, and then, you know, depending on whatever you're watching on TV or anything like that, or even the radio, people want something that's real and that's authentic and i think it's it's easy to do that on a podcast and get that out there as well it's just the realness of of hunting and our kind of our culture around it all well you and i could have this same conversation on the telephone
1: riding down the road and you know it would it would be gone and we'd say man that would have been a great podcast That's that's what we stopped doing when i You know, I love the fact that I haven't, I've never spoken to you other than the fact that two minutes before we got on this, and so we're able to, you know, learn about each other, but also learn, you know, different dynamics of each other's life, and it's genuine. It's a genuine conversation that, Mm -hmm. hey, somebody may not want to listen to it. There's somebody out there that's going to get something from this that, who knows what it'll lead them to.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Whether that be like what you're talking about, just you know, good memories of, of a hunting camp or maybe grandpa or something, or their old man that they used to hunt with, or, or maybe it's, they picked up something that, you know, when we're talking about different strategies and stuff that helps them, helps them, you know, when they're out there in the woods in the fall. But yeah, that's kind of why we started doing it in the first place was uh, there is a lot of bad information out there, I think. And then unless you know where to look, it's hard to find the good stuff and we were going and doing, we started doing consultations on guys' properties, and we would always get similar questions, and guys were asking the same things, and they all had the same ideas, and it was kind of like there needs to be a place that they can go and and find the the good, right information, or at least what we believe to be that. And then, you know, once we started doing it, you realize that there is a lot of other places that they can get the information as well, uh, which is great, and it's just kind of helping put the word out there for those people as well, and it gives people that are hunting and looking for the good right information to make them a better hunter or just to be entertained, you know, maybe do both at the same time, but you know, putting all that stuff out there uh, that's kind of why we started doing it. And it's nice to know that there are other guys doing it and we can kind of, you know, I guess again, build that network with those guys. And then I think the more good information that's out there, the better. And it, it benefits all of us. You know, I think for a long time, it's maybe kind of an old way of thinking now is everybody keep their secrets to themselves about how they were being successful, killing mature bucks. Well, you know, especially in our case, if you're killing mature bucks, but you're not telling your neighbor how you're doing it and he's killing two year olds all the time, then you're not going to have any mature bucks left to kill. So I think, it, that's you right, that's know, right. rising tide uh, brings up all boats or whatever that saying is. But uh, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. And I, and
1: you know, you, you touched on an interesting point about people hiding secrets and, these dang turkey hunters are still so secretive with all <laughs> yeah. their stuff. I've, I've I've done turkey podcasts. Nick's a huge turkey hunter, and and I can't say much because he drugged my tail into it this year. I've never been a turkey hunter. I've never. I've killed one turkey in my life up until this year. And mm-hmm. he and I went down to Florida and shot a couple of Osceolas and, and had a great time down there doing it. And I've chased these Eastern birds in Georgia that have absolutely terrorized me. I'm yeah. still mad at them. Yep. I'm so mad at them now. I'm just going to go kill a coyote tonight just to make up for it. I haven't been a hunting since it, uh, Gotta go since it got to go kill something. Yeah. Something's getting shot in the face tonight. Yep. It's on. I've got
0: a brand new thermal that's itching to be tried out tonight. So it's definitely going to try it out. Yep. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, I've actually, I think I killed my, yeah, it was my second bird this year. Killed my first bird last year, a uh, year to the date. So I'm right there with you on this turkey hunting. But, uh, Nate, he, you know, the other guy on the podcast, one of the other guys, he got me into it. I kind of wanted to start and he knew what he was doing. So I went with him cause I think, the. Uh, that's probably the smart thing to do when you don't know how to do something is find somebody who does it better than you and go with them. <laughs> so he, he kind of took me and showed me the ropes. And then uh, we killed one last year. And then this year I was able to kill one on my own, which, uh, you know, I, I was pretty proud of being able to do that, even though, again, by no means am I an expert on turkey hunting. I'm just ate up with it now, but it's a man, it can be frustrating. I think we get three, four, there's five seasons and you get like five days for every season. So I was on the fifth day in the season, when I finally got it done, but definitely ate up with it at this point. But yeah, I'm just in the same boat you are. I'm still learning so much about turkey hunting and it's kind of cool. You know, I've been deer hunting for a long time now and I'm still learning about it, but the, the rate at which I'm learning has slowed down, I guess, because, you know, I'm looking for different information now as opposed to just everything where with turkey hunting, I'm so green into that. I'm just taking in as much as I can and learning. It's, it's kind of fun and exciting to, to have something new you know, at this stage in my life and my hunting career that I hadn't really done before that I can learn. Yeah. And I
1: agree with that. That's, that's for me. i tell you what I've used the spring for that I never would have before, where I was on the lake fishing, spending time on the water in years past. This year I've used it to find areas of, of bedding and, and travel routes for deer and stuff that I never would have found any other way. I've spent so much time in the spring this year. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you, I think it's going to help me this fall when it comes to deer hunting because I've seen things that I normally wouldn't see because, frankly, I'm not going into those spots, you know, in the middle of November or during deer season, try to scare not scare deer out. Right. So it's it gave me a chance to get out and see things. And there's such a history and tradition with turkey hunting that I've learned. And I'm a very nostalgic person. I, I love old stories. I love old things. And mm-hmm. there's such a storied history and a tradition with turkey hunting that, it really has, it's, 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 it's done something to me uh, that I, I can't explain. I'm actually writing a, a, a short story or maybe it may turn into a book. Who knows? It, it's, it's gathering some steam now in my mind. But mm-hmm. I, I'm writing about this whole journey as it is with turkey and, and where it's going to take me. I don't really know, but I, I'm really in, in thrilled with it. And it's not necessarily the, the harvesting of a bird as much as it is storied tradition that lives in the wild turkey
0: mm-hmm. and i feel like maybe this is completely wrong but i feel like there's even more of a tradition down you know in the south with turkey hunting uh, as, oh my god as there is here, is you know? religion here <laughs> yeah i yeah, mean, it I mean is, from the outside and i never you did it growing in, up. that's what i thought you know yeah i mean i never did it
1: i mean you talk the biggest turkey hunting states in the in the country i mean you gotta you gotta look at alabama mississippi Georgia, you know, you get over into uh, to Louisiana some, and you, you talk about these places down here where the the greatest turkey hunters that have ever lived. I mean, you go on up into going up into Kentucky and get up there in Harold Knight's world, and it's uh mm-hmm. it's just a uh, there's just some stories uh, around turkey hunting. You could talk it for days, and I I never get tired of hearing those stories. I mean, we've talked to Dave Owen several times. We've talked to Mark Prudham, you know. We talked to Carrie Terrell. Sit down and have all these conversations with the locks of rip Dickerson and any, we hear all these people that have been in the industry for so long and they bring so much more to the table than just being a turkey hunter. Mm-hmm. And that's what I am interested in. And I think that's what's made me so infatuated with it is, uh, the idea behind it. So,
0: yeah, for sure. And it's definitely, I guess, like you said, a culture, a whole different culture down there even, and, it's even interesting that you talk about guys like you mentioned the Drurys earlier, uh, Mark, uh, Michael Waddell. There's several of those guys that got their start turkey calling, you know, going to turkey calling championships. And then now they're some of the biggest names even in the whitetail industry. So, uh, it's kind of given us deer hunters, uh, you know, some of the best personalities in the, even in the deer hunting world. Yeah. And I,
1: if you look back at those people that
0: got their start in the outdoor industry,
1: Turkey hunting was at the root of it all. And mm-hmm. I never realized that. You ask Mark, he loves turkey hunting more than he does anything. You ask Michael Waddell what he loves, turkey hunting. And, mm-hmm. and those people, they started with that. And there's just there's just something about it, man, that, that, that you can't explain it. And because and people have tried to explain it to me, and I'm like, nah, I don't care anything about that. Nah, I don't care anything about that. And now that I'm kind of living in this turkey hunting world a little bit, I'm kind of getting a taste of it. And let me tell you something, brothers, the taste is good. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I'm in the exact same boat that you're in. It's just like, it never really interested me growing up. If turkey hunting show would come on the outdoor channel, I'd turn it off and go outside or something, you know, Uh, but just... Getting into it. Now, don't get me wrong. I ain't
1: ready to hang the bow up yet. Oh, let me no, no, knock, no, let me get. Let me not. When Nick <laughs> listens to this, he's going to be like, you joker. I'm like, I did. I still got these deer That's on my right. mind Yeah, <laughs> I'm
0: absolutely still a deer hunter first, but, you know, I, I man, it's just got into my blood or something, like you said, in the tradition around and everything. It's just fun. But you mentioned Kyle uh, hunting earlier. You said you were going tonight. How long you been doing that? Yeah.
1: Cody got me into coyote hunting, um, back in probably, I would say 2013, 14, somewhere around there. We, uh, he had done it for several years and, and we were daytime hunting, had never thought anything about being able to get into the night game. Cause honestly, thermals weren't even a thought on anyone's mind back then. They were just right. too expensive and, and nobody could dream of where they are today. But we, uh, we went up into probably 2015, 2016, we were hunting tournaments here in Georgia, and we'd won a couple of tournaments using lights. And mm-hmm. we messed up and went with some guys that had some night vision, and, and then we wound up going with some guys that had some thermal and, and ended up buying thermals and, and having to nearly uh, write off a mortgage or, or sell my <laughs> yeah. kidney to find one and, yeah. and buy one. But we got them, and, and we started hunting. And I tell you, we let a lot of coyotes get gone watching lights. Because it, uh, it was amazing to see how many more coyotes we would find in the dark uh, mm-hmm. with those thermals. And what a what a thrilling and just unbelievable experience it is to go out in the middle of the dark, in the middle of the night, pitch black, can't see anything. You flip on a, uh, a computer in your hand, basically, and the world comes to life mm-hmm. and nothing is hiding from you. Yeah. And so through the years, I've been able to, to – you know, upgrade slowly and, and get and I feel like now the scope that I've gotten I've not I've not harvested an animal with it. I hope tonight first night we have got some fresh ground. We're trying to get on these uh these after after the rut coyote rut's done with and their denning season's kind of up. They're uh, they're out on the prowl. So I'm hoping to knock one down. And and I've actually hunted up in Illinois um, quite a few times with with thermals um, during the season. Here it's 365. We don't have a season. Right. And so I've came up and hunted after the first year um, after deer season's over and and got to lay eyes on a lot of coyotes. But I'll tell you what, man, that that part of the, southern Illinois gets absolutely hammered with coyote hunters. I mm-hmm. never would have dreamed there was that many. And I'll tell you what, y'all have got some flat killers that oh, live yeah. within 100 miles of where you're at. I know some straight-up gangster killers on coyotes. Mm. And they embarrassed me. I mean, we killed 50 last year and we thought we'd had a great year. And, you know, I, I talked to a guy like, or see a guy post on online like Jared McKenzie, and he's got 108 in like 14 right. days or some craziness. I mean, right. it's just Daniel Wright up in Wisconsin's dropping, you know, two or 300 coyotes a season. You got Heath Baker out west dropping four or 500. I mean, all these great names, cow hunt. Don't make me no less want to go. I can tell you that cause I still <laughs> love shooting coyotes. Yep. Bow hunting hunting tails and killing coyotes is my two favorite things in the world to do.
0: Hey, they kind of go hand in hand, you know. The That coyote well, hunt gives you something to do when the, when the season ain't around, when deer season's not in. But, yeah, one of well, the guys. And, and... No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. I was just going to say that it got me going to. Um, I, I I quit fishing
1: because I couldn't spend time in the afternoons with my kids. I got kids now, and, and I was spending all this time on the lake during the day, and I didn't get to really spend time with them, so I sold my boat. Mm-hmm. And I said when I sold my boat, I was going to buy another scope because I can put them to bed at night That's at right. 10 o'clock, and I can go out and hunt for three or four hours and have a great time and still get into bed early enough that I can get up and go to work. That's so right. It's it's a thrill, and if you haven't done it and you listen to this show and you're ever in North Georgia and you're interested in going, hit me up. Come see me. I will take you on a hunt. I ain't going to say I'll let you shoot the first one, but the second <laughs> one's all yours. <laughs> uh,
0: that's awesome. One of the guys that is just like what you're talking about, straight killer around here. We've had him on the podcast a couple times, and I think I want to say he said how many he killed on the last podcast we did with him, but uh, Dusty Wood, that guy, uh, he does does. I love. listened to that one y'all did. Yeah, he's, uh, he's hard on them coyotes around here, man. <laughs> He'll kill he yeah, and, and between yeah, 100 and 150 every year, you know, just, just doing thermals. They're not trapping or anything either.
1: Yeah, and I think what people don't realize is, is it is a hell of an investment to buy a thermal scope. I mean, it is a ton of money to spend, but if you spend it once, you know, buy once, cry once, the old theory. Right. But it's an addiction, man. When you go, I've had so many people go with me that first time and, and they try it out and they're like, I got to buy one of these. And I'm like, hold on. <laughs> think about this. You need a ton of land. You need a ton of time and you need a ton of not getting no sleep. to want to do this. So think about those three things mm-hmm. before you pull the trigger on one of these. Of course, there's a few of them that have bought them. They're like, oh, I don't have time to go. Well, I told you, <laughs> right. a but there's guys that buy them and they're like, dude, I got it. I got it. I'm ready to go. And, you know, it just it just it is just something that eats at me a uh, lot when I don't get to go, and I have not been since February. I I, I sold my scope and I got rid of the one I had because I was waiting on my new one to come in, and I finally got it in from Dark Night Outdoors, and it's a Bolt TH50V2, and it it's like the the Cadillac of scopes that are on the market right now, and. Mm-hmm. It's, I cannot wait to see what it looks like tonight. I'm I'm like itching. It's it, it's still plenty of daylight here. I mean, we got two hours before it's dark, and I'm already itching,
0: watering at the mouth to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so you said you guys are it's 365 down there. You can hunt 24 hours a day all year long. That's right. Yeah, wide that's, open. That's that's nice. I at some point maybe it'll get to that up here, but we do have a ton of dogs, so I mean, I I wouldn't see yeah. why it would hurt anything. I mean, there's a lot of coyotes around here.
1: Well, and I kind of get, all right, so there's, there's a there's a fine line that I walk with when it comes to thermal hunting because you can make a very unethical hunter really unethical right. during velvet season of whitetail. Mm-hmm. I have seen some whitetails in my scope here in Georgia that uh, blow your mind. I mean, I've got videos of, of bucks here I could not imagine standing on the edge of a bean field in Southern Illinois with a thermal in August and looking out there and seeing Mm. some of those deer that, you know, are running around that came out just after dark. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it will take a very, it was, you know, and I mean, I'm not saying that there, that's why they don't allow it, but I can tell you one thing, it's probably a big draw because deer deer money brings in a lot of money to the state of Illinois, Iowa, any of them up there, but it just, it just blows my mind what you can see in the dark with them. And, I can, I can talk coyotes for days. I mean, we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to do an episode sometime and talk just straight coyotes and, and, and I love it. It's something that, that is a passion of mine and it is, anybody needs any help with thermals or or coyotes or anything else, holler at me. I'll talk years off about that.
0: Yeah, for sure. We'll have to get you on here with Jeff sometime. He's done a little bit of it. His boss at work is big into it as well. He kills a bunch of them every year. Goes out about every night. Yeah, Uncle Jim? Every night through the season. Uncle Jim, yeah. Yeah, that'd be him. Yeah. See, yeah. I've been
1: listening to your show. Yep. I know I do. Yep. I laugh at you he, know. he talks a lot like me. That's what's funny.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he talks a lot. I know like you. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Yeah, he's a good guy. I think you'd enjoy talking to him about it, too. And he, know, he knows more about it than I do, even in his limited experience doing it. But it's – and I'm kind of on the – I know if I did it, I'd be like those guys you're talking about. I would just be all about doing it. And I got so much other stuff going on and all the other hunting that I do that I spend, you know, if you ask my wife, probably too much money on, but I know I would oh, just yeah, be. yeah, absolutely. I would spend be... too much money. I don't, I don't <laughs> even
1: know what you spent. I know you spent <laughs> exactly. too much money according to our wives. <laughs> exactly.
0: So that would just be another thing, but I would love to do it. Dusty's invited me a couple of times. We just ain't been able to get out and do it yet, but, uh, yeah, it definitely interests me a lot, and just to be out there and to be able to see, because me and a buddy of mine did a little bit of it, gosh, probably close to 10 years ago now, but we were out there like what you're talking about with lights, and if you get one close, you turn that light on, and you don't get them, I mean, you're pretty much done, so, especially the Yeah, and there's guys the, that are successful with the lights. Mm-hmm. They steal they the fire out of them. There's some YouTube guys out there
1: that, that absolutely murder them with lights, but they're not doing it in Georgia, I promise you that, because right. you
0: turn a lot on here and they're going to the next county. Yeah, it's it's kind of the same way around here. I think they get, with the guys that do hunt, they get some pressure from them, so they, they kind of figured that one out, but we never had a lot of luck with it. But the thermal thing, definitely a lot of interest, I would have a lot of interest in, in doing that, just to even go out there and experience it, you know, and, and be there and see it, but... I've seen some videos from that Dusty showed me and other guys, of uh, their scopes. He's all the time sending me stuff in the fall where he's going out. And, uh, it's pretty cool just to watch it through the scope even. Yeah. You, I've got, you know, it can hook to my phone and, and
1: my son, he loves going and going and sitting and watching through it. We were out in the yard the other night with this new scope and I just hooked it to my phone and showed him and, I'm like, all right, he got his earphones on. And, of course, we can shoot suppressed here, but the communist state of Illinois, as great as that <laughs> state is, y'all got some crazy laws up there. There's and I have to no pull that can off that. when I come up fast. <laughs> and I'm like, God, yeah, now I got to shoot this light. I came up there this past fall with a 204 and busted everybody that I hunted with his eardrums. And I sold that gun because it was so doggone loud. But, yep. And it didn't kill coyotes like I wanted it to. But in any case, you come back to Georgia and you throw that can on, son, we we ready to smoke roll. It ain't mm-hmm. no
0: doubt about it. You ain't got to have no earphones here. That's right. That's a man. I, that's one thing I definitely wish that we could do. And I don't see it ever happen. Cause like you said, the communist state, everybody pretty much North of 70, um, that we would like to maybe get rid of when it comes to, uh, politics for sure. But anyway, we probably never have that opportunity. Uh, but that, that's definitely something else that I would love to do. You know, and you see guys that, uh, out West, even elk hunting and, and mule deer hunting with a can on, and it's just, uh, if you're three 400 yards away and you got a can and you shoot a deer and your buddy's got a tag and there's two shooters in the group there's a good chance you're going to have be able to shoot them both right there like that because they don't know you're there and like you said you ain't got to have any ear pro on or anything like that it's uh definitely would be a benefit you bring your tail to georgia son and i'll put you on a coyote hunt that'll have yeah, we may not kill nothing but we gonna have a good time i promise you that <laughs> don't tempt me with a good time man i'll be down there
1: I got an apartment right here in the studio that'll be done by hopefully the end of summer. We got a, we're gotta we going to have an apartment upstairs. You got a bathroom downstairs. We can sit here till the till the cows come home. You can go up there and climb in bed, and then we can go hunting the next night. We can have a good
0: time in here. Heck yeah, man. That sounds like a good time. I was going to say, too, when you guys are up in Illinois again, you have to hit us up, and we'll have you in the studio. We got, I'm sure it's nothing like what you guys got. It's just a little studio room here, but uh, it works for what we do, and we'd love to have you in here and talk, too, you know? You,
1: we built a we built a 16 by uh, 24 room
0: off the backside of a, a,
1: a two story building that's in my backyard. Worked for two and a half years building this joker. You know it's old rust sawed wood and, and bucks hanging everywhere. We got gator heads in here and everything
0: else. It mm-hmm. ain't it
1: ain't no Taj Mahal, but it's our Taj
0: Mahal. I'll <laughs> tell you right. that. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we're we moved from uh, the break room in the shop over to this, and it's I don't know what it is, maybe eight by eight, if that little studio room that we got. So we really felt like we moved up when we got this thing done. So it, it works for us for now. And, uh, hopefully one of these days we'll be able to build something a little bit bigger, but, uh, it's nice for what we got. Well, y'all,
1: st- y'all started about the same time a little bit after we did. We started in November of 2020, um, with mm-hmm. our podcast. I think it was, I want to say, yeah, this, this November will be three years. And so we haven't, we've been in it about the same amount of time as, as you guys. And, mm-hmm. um, we, uh, I, I wanna say that I've been to y'all's processor that y'all have up there. Um I, I don't we went to a processor one year, it's been four or five years ago and um you walk in, you pull up in the gravel lot in the front, it's off a of, way off a of gravel road, it could be the same
0: place. I don't know. Like I, is, do y'all do cattle there too? You're thinking of a guy down just south of us that my dad actually used to work for. Um Burtner's probably. Does that ring a bell? That's it. Burgers. Yep. That's it. Yep. Yes, sir. That's they it. They do cattle and hogs, and they do deer down there. Yep. That ain't very far from us. That's down around the Dalgren area. Yeah, I know exactly what the area
1: y'all are in, and because and, and we went there to get. So I, I want to say that we took a deer up there to have it caped out. Um, no, a friend of ours killed a deer, and he took it up there to have it processed because he was going to be going home and didn't want to mess with it when he got home. We do all our own processing. I mean, we, mm-hmm. from... The, the keel to the, the to the plate. Nobody else touches it other than the tax terms. So, I mean, I take it off the skull. We did a video, learn how to do uh, caping them off the skull. We mm-hmm. you know we because coming back across state lines, yep, you got to take it you know completely down yep. uh, to the to the hide the skull plate, and so we learn how to do that, and we you know debone everything while we're there put it in coolers, bring it home. We do all our own processing here. Um, we've got a great processor local to us, but they they. You know, I took deer to them for friends or whatever, and North Georgia Deer Processing does a great job. But for me, I like I like doing it myself. It's mm-hmm. what I grew Hell, I didn't know what a processor was <laughs> till I was growing. Right. I thought everybody did it themselves. My right. dad he had a whole Hobart grinder, that I guarantee you, there's as many deer passed through there as any any processor in the country right. over the years. I mean, it's from the '70s, and it's a uh, it's a it's a power horse, and we've ground a lot of deer meat with that thing. But you know, there's just something about that though when you when you go from harvesting to plate and you've done it all yourself there's a there's a sense of
0: pride in that Mm -hmm. that i think kind of lost in the industry anymore yep absolutely and obviously i get to do that i get to just use all the uh fancy equipment i wouldn't uh, fancy but i just get to use all the nice stuff but yeah you know obviously we do all of our own stuff uh makes it pretty easy for us but yeah there's definitely something about it Uh, getting to do all that stuff and getting your hands dirty and not just killing the well, thing. These people
1: and, that bitch about the prices of a ta- of a processor, go spend a go spend a little bit of time doing processing yeah. on meat, and you'll know why a processors what it is. Because I guarantee you this: ninety nine percent of the people that take a deer to a processor go and do it themselves will never complain about doing uh, or paying it again mm-hmm. if they do it themselves. A hundred, I will bet. I bet ninety nine point nine percent of them <laughs> yep. won't.
0: Yep, I think you're right there. there's definitely more than I think some people give it credit for. But if you can get out there and do it yourself, even if it's one time, you know, it just, it is a little bit different. And then when you sit down to grill up that backstrap or something, uh, it might taste sure just I, a little bit better. Well,
1: and I think it's, you know, for me, it was always about something I learned. My dad saved me a ton of money by teaching me how to do it. and. Mm-hmm don't get me wrong. There's days when I've been cutting up three or four deer that we've, you know, brought back from the Midwest and cows that they are or take, you know, two or three does <laughs> yeah. here and we're grinding it and cutting it up. Right. I get done with it and I'm like, son of a gun, why didn't I just take this to uh, a processor? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a lot of work and I just, it blows my mind because I hear people complain about prices of processors even here. And, and I think Tyler and those guys are, are moderately priced for, for what they do. And mm-hmm. I just, I'm like, why do you complain about that? Do it yourself. And then they're like, well, I'll try it. It's too much work. And you're still <laughs> complaining about it. Come on, man. Yeah. You gotta, you yeah. gotta give a little, and it's just, but that's the way of the world. People would rather complain about it. Than they had to just, you know, pay for it or do it yourself. I, don't yeah. get me on that soapbox. I'll be, <laughs> we'll be here all night. <laughs> yeah. We could do a whole different
0: podcast on that. Yeah. That seems to be uh, um, definitely seems to be something in the culture anymore, but yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. Uh, at times to be able to do all that stuff and, and not have to worry about taking it somewhere. And I, I do get where, you know, some people think, well, gosh, that's a lot of money, but it is perspective. Like you're talking about, you know, get out there and do it once and you'll see what goes on, what all goes into it. And I think it surprises guys how long it takes, uh, especially when they're just standing up here in the shop, you know, shooting the crap and they see us go through however many deer it is, you know, uh, while they're up here talking for 30 minutes or an hour, and then they think, well, you know, well, that much goes into it. They don't see what's going on in the back room or in the coolers or after that, you know, and then, uh, you get out there well, and they, do it and you got an appreciation for it for sure.
1: And you guys develop a system that mm-hmm. you, you put into place and, and there's, it's, it's with anything you do in this world, whether it's cutting up deer meat or at your regular job or podcasting or whatever it may be, there's a system that you develop and it goes right back to hunting. You develop that system that makes you successful in what you're doing. And it's, I'm a very system driven person. and It's what I do for work. It's what I, I, I've lived my life around systems and and following processes. I tend to not always follow the same processes (laughs) over and over again, but you know, we were talking about hunting and deer hunting and podcasting. I never would have got my butt in a saddle And, and you know, cruiser saddles is our title sponsor of our show. But at the same time, I never would have been in a saddle whatsoever had it not been for podcasting. And I don't know that I will ever hunt in anything else again, except for a saddle mm-hmm. because it has changed the way that I hunt and efficiency is something I strive for. And if you're more efficient and you're more system driven and you're following those processes, it will make you a more successful hunter or person in this world. I just That's something I believe in. It's something I drive on and, and I tell you what, if, if you boys ain't, I don't even know
0: if y'all are saddle hunting yet or not. That's something I've really built, built a passion for. Yeah. We're, uh, I've never actually sat in one. I know a couple guys that have them, but you know what son you...
1: you gonna have to come down here and see me i we're going thermal hunting i'm gonna put you in a cruiser saddle you know i'm gonna i'm gonna cook you up some gator meat oh, yeah. you're gonna have to come see me one weekend we're gonna have you're gonna be like culture shock by the time you leave gonna, <laughs> i don't know you about wife's that gonna hate me <laughs> well your wife's gonna hate me you're gonna spend so much money when you get back home now that might be the
0: case that might be the case yeah yeah that definitely is another thing that interests me and you said that about being efficient you know and we do get these systems in place and even when it comes to hunting but you're always at least if you're if you're being successful and I think to have the right mindset to be successful you're always looking for ways to improve your system and make it more efficient whether it be you know cutting up deer meat or hunting I think you always have to be looking for that thing and like you said with the saddle potentially or with it is for you guys you know just to make yourself more efficient uh and more effective you always got to be looking for ways that you can do that to continue to be successful because at some point you're going to get stuck in, in some old way that's not working. You're going to get passed up by the rest of the world. That's exactly right. And I was a guy that was left in the wind,
1: you know, dragging 20 pound tree stands around and, and saying, Oh, I'll never get out of this. I'll never change that. You know, well, I eat crow in more ways than one when I got my butt in a saddle for the first time. And, mm-hmm. and, and there's a ton of saddle companies out there that are great people and but the guys over at Cruiser, they're just—they're just, they're just down there people. They're just like us, and it's—it's it's ultimately what led us to them. I think I'm a very faithful person, and I think God puts people in our path. You know, I, I tell people all the time that are like, "Well, you cuss and you drink." I said, "Yeah," and I know better because I'm a faithful person. That's what I tell right. folks all yep. the time. But it's, i think we're that God blesses us with going through certain pathways in life, and no who doubt. we meet and who we choose to work with. Are are what make us more successful, or most successful, and we're so very blessed to be partnered with those guys, and they've been so very, very good to us. Um, and and I just can't say enough good things about them. And not to take anything away from some of these other companies out there, there's some great ones, but they're 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 our boys, and and I will do anything I can to to support them. And and you know, any chance I get to talk about saddles, it's it's a blessing because I'm telling you. If you're a young man, old man, big man, little man, whatever. I mean, Nick, Nick's what 250, 245, forty five, two fifty, and six foot, and mm-hmm. he he can get in a saddle, and he made a YouTube uh, video saddle hunting for the big boys, <laughs> and uh, he if he, he, he can do it, and I'm you know one fifty and six three, and Cody's about one seventy, and We got, we got a mixture, dude. We're from six, three, all the way down to five, five. I think what Caleb, how tall he is on our team. And we all saddle hunt. And if you hadn't tried it, you got to do it. Especially in the Midwest, y'all ain't got a straight tree in the state. Well, come on now. That's no joke.
0: We got, if, I think if I did more public land hunting, I would definitely do it. So, or if, you know, if I come across some more permission ground or if I end up buying my own farm and I want to be a little more mobile on it right now gosh i've been hunting the same properties for 15 years probably and although i will get lucky rascal <laughs> i will get out i'll move some stands in the middle of the season because sometimes things do change and crop rotation goes into all that and and sometimes guys logging timber messes things up but it's to the point now where at least on these couple properties that the ones that i have been hunting for that long gosh i just you about know where you need to be uh, And it seems like it should make it a lot easier. It it doesn't always make it a lot easier, but I can get those stands set where I want them, and then I pretty much leave them for the year. But definitely, if I wanted to be mobile, and we were talking to uh, a guy two weeks ago, and they're coming out with some new steps, too, uh, in the near future that are kind of an extendable thing, and I think that'd be interesting as well. But if I was going to do a mobile setup, I would definitely at least get in the saddle and try it out because that's another thing that intrigues me. And I've never heard a guy that uses got, them say a bad thing about them.
1: Yeah, and there, there's not. I mean, there's nothing that I can say that that there's never there's never been a more efficient way of deer hunting than a saddle in my opinion. And the way that it hides you in the tree as opposed to hanging out over it in a lock on, and, and I've hunted out of every possible stand there is. There's not one out there that I haven't sat my tail in. Mm-hmm. And the, the way that I can hide behind a tree and get into the foliage with that saddle and I can manipulate myself around to the, almost completely around the tree. Mm-hmm. If a deer is coming in from one area, I can hide and especially filming. I mean, it's, let me tell you something. When the first few years that we were trying to film, we would go in with two lock-ons, hang them up. You'd have two guys up there and then you're trying to get around the tree with all that equipment and beating and banging around. We can go in with two saddle sets and a camera now and be up the tree in less than 20 minutes and fully mm-hmm. ready to hunt mm-hmm. with all our camera gear. and it's made us so much more. If you've got a lock on hanging and let's say I come up and hunted with you like, Hey, let's go film this set. I could go in, climb up your lock on, hang my platform and be in that tree in less than seven minutes with yeah. my camera gear, all set up and ready to go. Yeah. And I changed the profile. None. I don't, I'm not sitting as a bulky item on the tree. I'm, I'm actually look like a limb hanging off mm-hmm. of there. And you go into those spots like that. That's a big thing for us. And, and something that we've, we've worked with some other companies out there. I can't really talk about it too much, but we're, we're starting to get the opportunity to, to showcase what these saddles can be for other companies out there. And it's, it's changing the way that people think. And it's it just goes back to like that meeting people thing we talked about. It's just such a, it's just such a blessing and there's no other way to put
0: it. Yeah, no doubt. And I think the, well, it's it, a couple things. I think we've talked to several public land guys recently, and that seems to be something that's gaining more and more pop, more and more popularity. As is the saddle hunting, and I think a group of guys that has a lot to do with both of those is probably the hunting public guys. As popular as they've gotten, uh, you know, they're hunting out of saddles now, and obviously they're hunting on public ground. I think those guys have had a ton of influence over people getting into the public ground, and then the saddle hunting as well. Seems like, and then. I think it's, you know, like I said, when guys try it, I've yet to hear anybody who uses them say anything bad about it. And what you're just talking about there, even if you wanted to start filming right now, what we're do, what we would do in situations. If, if I don't have two stands already set up, we got to take a a hang on and climb it up there with us Mm -hmm. and then hang it on. And like you're saying, that does change the profile. And if it's not been there and that deer just happens to notice it you know, it's, that may be the one time you get a chance at him and then he's gone because he just noticed something that was out of the ordinary. And that's all it takes for some of those mature bucks that have been hunted for three or four years.
1: That's right. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, I, I'm not, and I'm going to say this right now, and anybody that listens talk about it outdoors will, will tell you this. We're not product pushers. We're product believers. And mm-hmm. when we find something we believe in, we, we don't mind talking about it. We've turned down so many opportunities to work with companies that have offered us, you know, a a substantial partnership. Mm -hmm. And we just didn't believe in the product. So there was no point in us trying to to work with them because I'm not going to lie to people. I'm not going to tell you something's better than another because you're paying me for it. That just ain't the way we roll. And I'm I'm never going to be that type of sellout person because I think the industry's full of that. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that that's the way that anybody should do things just because somebody strokes you a paycheck doesn't mean you should go out and tell people it's the greatest thing that's ever been. That's just my take on it. I'm speaking for Alex, and I'm speaking to talk about it outdoors. We find things that work, and we find things that we believe in to tell people about because we know it works. Not because we've been told it's great. I'm telling you it works because we've tried it. (laughs) Yep,
0: absolutely. We've had similar situations, and you know the guys that we do work with because there is so much of that in the industry where it's just, well, they cut me a check, so I'm pushing their product. When in reality, uh, take Food Plot Seed, for example, they may be going and getting uh, a different type of seed, coming and planting it, and then showing the bag they're getting paid to show on TV or on their show or whatever it is. They're not even using that product because oh, they yeah. themselves don't believe in it. But I'm not, I'm the same uh-huh. way you are. We're not going to push anything that we haven't tried and that we don't like. And the partnerships that we do have, that's been the case, especially. Uh, our longest-running partner, Grandpa Ray's, uh, out, Grandpa Ray Outdoors, uh, John O'Brien, up out of Wisconsin. You know, we loved that episode with him. Oh, That's he's the awesome! First one y'all did love that one. He's <laughs> awesome, and we do. We've used his stuff. Gosh, doing management for other guys, I come across this seed, and it was good germination rate, and it was good pure seed. And I was like, I'm going to try this stuff, and it worked just as good as I expected it to. So I just reached out to him. You know, I was like, and we came up with a deal because I liked the stuff, not because he came to me or, or I thought, you know, they could cut me a check and, and they would be willing to do it. It was because it was a good product that I, I believed in, you know, and he was a good guy and I wanted to work with him. And that's how I think that goes back to that authenticity thing we were talking about.
1: Yep.
0: 100%. Hey man, I don't want to take up too much more of your time tonight. I definitely though, if you'd be interested, we'll have you on again at some point. And if you get up here in our neck of the woods, Anytime, you know, between now and next fall, or if it, if it's not until next fall, that's fine too. You got to give me a holler and we'll get you in here in our humble studio compared to your guys' uh, Taj Mahal that you got. <laughs> and we'll have you on. We could, we'll be in a, we
1: could be in a double wide outback, old buddy, and we'd be just as happy. <laughs> it don't matter to us. Or a single wide or a box trailer. It yep. don't matter to us. As long as we're together, that's
0: all that matters. That's right. That's right. But yeah, we'd definitely love to have you on again. But before I let you get out of here, I do want you to go ahead and plug everything where people can find you, uh, your Talk About It Outdoors, and then whether it be you or your social media for the show, anything you want to plug, go ahead and tell people where they can find you.
1: So Talk About It Outdoors can be found anywhere on uh, Spotify, Apple, Google, you can find us on Stitcher, we're on any uh, Amazon music platform out there. As far as our show goes, we've got a YouTube channel that's Talk About It Outdoors as well. You can look up our past deer and turkey hunts. We do have a 10 episode series that will drop out this fall that will be weekly as we drop it out. It'll start sometime in August. Get great lineup of hunts from this past year. A lot of success, a lot of failures mixed in with it. We're not the guys that are only putting the, uh, the harvest on there. We're putting the failures in there as well because mm-hmm. we think we want to, people need to see that stuff. But yep. you can find us on Facebook, of course, at Talk About It Outdoors Podcast. You can find us on Instagram there and we're on TikTok as well. Um, I got to shout my boy, Nick Wilson, out. Wilson's custom game calls. He he builds some amazing turkey calls. I think they've claimed 19 or 20 different birds this year across the country, and they continue to drop them. He's got one, a ghost cut called Agent Orange, that it's it's a deadly call. So if you need a turkey calls, let me know. I'll, I'll definitely uh, get him to send you some up there, can you, so y'all can try them out. Oh, for sure. And of course, our partners over at Cruiser Saddles and, uh, you know, North Georgia Deer Processing and, and our continued – and partnership with RP Scritchfield and Scritchfield Knives and I can't leave out the KT team. If you don't know what the KT team is, please go over and check them out. Um they're a great organization that gets disabled hunters back out into the outdoors. It's a uh it's a blessing for us to be able to partner with them and and do anything that we can to help them out. So if you want to see some amazing stuff, go over and check them out. And uh we're a proud partner of the Bow Hunting League. I don't know if you guys are are in the bow hunting league or do anything with being in those guys, but if you're not definitely check them out.
0: Cool, man. Well, again, I'll get with you. We'll link all that stuff in the description too, so it makes it easy for everybody to find. But thanks for coming on, man, and helping me out this week. Um, it was great talking to you, and I look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Canyon, I can promise you
1: this won't be the last time we and you talk. <laughs> I've enjoyed this very much, and, and, and I appreciate you extending the opportunity for me to be on here. It means more than I could ever explain, because you guys are doing a great job up there, and, and, and I cannot wait to... Uh, I can't wait to, you know, make this uh, make this a little more than a conversation, and turn this hopefully into a long time friendship, man.
0: For sure, man. That's awesome. And I really appreciate you saying that. So I'll let you get out of here, man. Go kill some dogs tonight. Yes,
1: sir. We're gonna try. Appreciate it, Kenya.
0: <laughs> yep. All right. See you, Alex. See you, man.